I'm supposed to end early today for a party out there. Hey, there were some other new things in 2023. You know how Webster's Dictionary always publishes the new words? Well, I found out some new words in 2023. Would you like to hear them? Okay. Uh, this first one is R-I-Z-Z, Riz. Yeah. I learned this. I lead a group of senior guys. Oops. Um, senior high school guys, and I've learned some of these words amongst other words this year. But Riz is, here's what Riz is, romantic appeal or charm. Travis had some W Riz, and now he's got Taylor. So uh, you, can, you can urban dictionary that one and figure out what the W is about and the whole deal, but Riz is the first word, okay? So uh, use this by the end of the day. Use Riz in a conversation with someone. They'll look at you funny. Uh, the next one is, is one that I've heard before, but I'm glad it's finally in the dictionary because now I know how to spell it. Anyone want to try pronouncing this? <laughs> Zuz? <laughs> or Zuz. It's zhuzh. Zhuzh. You know, the, the hairstylist does a little zhuzh here. Or, zhuzh is this. Here's, a, here's what zhuzh is. A small improvement, adjustment, or addition that completes the overall look, taste, or et cetera, or something like that, you know? So, zhuzh, you know, that's, that's, what, that's what it is. Zhuzh. All right, zhuzh and riz, if you, get, you get bonus points if you work those into the same, same conversation. Now, um, uh, I'm curious what was new to you in 2023. You just started answering the question a little bit, but not to your neighbor, but I just want you to reflect on a few of these that are going to be on the screen here. What did you learn this year? What did you learn in the last 12 months? Did you gain a friendship this year? Is there someone that's a friend now that 12 months ago you didn't know who they were and like you're just glad that you know them this year? And then uh, there's a third one that just needs to be acknowledged here, but there's some heavy stuff that happened in the last 12 months. Did you experience loss this year? It could have been anything from a friend, a loved one, job, change is loss. I ran across this quote from Brennan Manning a few years ago, and here's, here's what Brennan Manning says. He's now passed away, but he said, everything is gift. Everything is gift. The stuff that was awesome and the lows on the roller coaster, like all the stuff and everything in between, Brennan says, is gift. Now, that's, that's challenging because when I look back, it's easy to be grateful for the good stuff, the promotion or the good news, the uh, significant healing that happened, the doctor's intervention, uh, all that, like there's some highs to be grateful for, and it's easy there, but I, I'm not good at being grateful for the hard stuff, for the lows in life, and uh, mainly because I don't like challenging things, and a few of you out there maybe run towards challenge. I resist difficulty, uh, so if you're like me, welcome to the club, but today we're going to hear the story of 10 people. It's from Luke chapter 17. It's 10 people who like, had, a, had a low that was a low that just kind of kept getting lower. These 10 men had a disease called leprosy. It was actually a lyric in one of the songs that we sang earlier. Uh, they were lepers, and they had to live in a colony on their own because they had a contagious disease. Uh, and they actually had to, to tell other people who happened to not be plagued by leprosy that they had leprosy, and it was an incurable condition, generally not fatal. Like, you didn't die from having leprosy, but you were a social outcast. And these 10 men lived together. And, um, and before we hear their story about how they were banished to live by themselves and how Jesus interrupted their life, I want you to think about how grateful they might have been because they're in one of these low moments and gratitude comes hard during low moments. And, and I assume it did for them too. Uh, to be honest, when I'm um, in a moment where things are going great, 
I ask these kind of questions, even when things are great. I ask questions like, how can I hoard more of the goodness I'm experiencing? This is not enough goodness. I need more. So even at my peak moments, I feel like I'm still looking for another peak moment. Uh, Or I'll do this. Wait a second. That person still has more than I do (laughs) in a peak moment of gratitude. Or uh, or this one. Oh, man, this is not going to last like a Chiefs winning streak. I know, ouch. I'm a hardcore Chiefs fan, so it hurts. It hurt to write that. But in Luke 17, here's what's going on. I'm going to read this a few verses at a time. I want us to hear what's happening. Place yourself in the story as best you can. See, feel what might have been going on in this moment. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and here's what it says. He traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, this border is not an average border. It's a hate-filled border because Samaritans didn't associate with people from Israel. And they were actually interracially wed and uh, half-breeds is the term that Jews would use to describe the Samaritans. They were less than, they had uh, polluted our national, national bloodline. It was, it was filthy. Now, you get, you, get, you get the racism here that's going on in this moment where these people don't like each other and it goes both ways, this journey. And there's a moment, actually, or a few chapters earlier in Luke where Jesus tries to reach these people in Samaria. And it says this in Luke chapter 9, just to give you some context for how these two peoples saw each other. As the time approached for him, Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Because of the place he's going, they are upset. Because of who he is, they're upset. There is a a sense of hatred here, animosity that's palpable. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy the Oakland rate? Oh, no. Uh, (laughs) To destroy them. But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and then he and his disciples went to another village. Like, this is just both ways, to the point where Jesus' own disciples were like, can we push the lightning button on this Samaritan village? Like, can we go scorched earth on this people? Like, this is intense. And there's a lot of disdain, hatred, and they're not welcoming Jesus like the other places have welcomed Jesus. Now, Jesus is walking along this area when this story happens, and he was going into a village. We don't know which side of the border this village was on, but he was walking into a village, and 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, I want you to catch what they titled Jesus here, Master, have pity on us. Not just Jesus rabbi, not Jesus teacher, Jesus master, have pity on us. Who were the 10? Well, uh, clearly a community, because they're together, kicked out of their homes, living in isolation, away from their families and friends that they grew up with. And these 10 lepers are fully aware of Jesus' miraculous powers. They knew what happened when you were around Jesus. The blind could see The sad became happy. Those who were sick became well. They knew these things, and they have a title of respect for him, master. Are they expecting a handout? I don't know, or uh, a healing. We don't know exactly what they're looking for, but we do know they're willing to ask and shout in a loud voice while at the same time maintaining like the social boundaries that they need to maintain from Jesus. From a distance, they're shouting at him. It goes on to say this. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests, and as they went... They were cleansed. 
Now, they, they knew in this moment there was an order of operations to a potential miracle in their lives. They knew that there had to be, in fact, a seven-day waiting period where they had to be, like, fully healed. Like, you might have gotten healed on day one, but you needed six more days to, like, fully be healed and the margin of error be accomplished, and, like, that, that was important. And so when Jesus tells them to go now on your way and go to the, go to the priest's, they know that something's up here, but they also are confused, I bet, because this is not the order that it's supposed to go in. And they go, and as they're going, it's an act of faith in and of itself. As they go, they're not healed when they're with Jesus, but as they go, they receive their healing. And it all makes sense to them, but they also are still taking a risk to go to the priest. They go anyway. It's fascinating that they go and they receive their healing. They're not outcasts anymore. The story goes on, and here's the key moment in the whole, whole story. One of them, when he saw he was healed, a skin disease covering his arms, legs, face everywhere, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. One of them, when he saw he was healed, I just want to put those words in bold for you here so you can see them. They all saw they were healed. Like they all knew that something had happened in their journey to the priests. But one of them saw that he was healed. And what that implies is some level of self-reflection, some level of pause, the ability to say something's happening, what's going on in me, in my body. I, I, I see that I'm healed. Surely all the others noticed they were healed too. But this one saw and it moved him. It moved him to tears, I believe. It moved him literally too. It moved him back to Jesus. Like he turned around about face and goes back to Jesus. I don't know what caused him to go back. Did, uh, if I'm one of the 10, I'm like, hey, guys, we should probably go back. You know, I'm trying to, to help the group make the right decision to go back. Or maybe I'm in the group that's like, this, this happened, you know, and now we need to move forward. Like, we don't really need to go back. It's done. We're actually being obedient if we go to the priest because this is what Jesus said to do in the first place. And so we're actually, if we don't go back, it's, that's the wrong thing to go back. And there's a sense of like, I don't know who, how this conversation went or if there was a conversation, but the one does decide to go back. And I wouldn't go back. And I wouldn't go back for the same reason that I don't write thank you notes. I have a thank you note for one of you on my desk. It's been there for two weeks. It's addressed. It should be in your hands. But it's not because I just don't like complete it. I just don't finish the job when it comes to thank you notes. I think it's like a pat on the back that it's written. You know? I'm serious. Here's another reason I wouldn't go back. Because I got what I wanted from Jesus. I, I, I got what I wanted. I uh, now have family to reunite with. And it's full steam ahead into this new life, this new chapter of my life. And I, I don't have time to go back. I have important things, and surely Jesus gets that. Now, here's the, the last thing we read about this one who came back. We find out his identity, and it's one that shocks everybody. He threw himself at Jesus' feet, this one, and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. This messes with everyone. Because they expect nothing from the Samaritans. They, um, they hate the Samaritans. And so this is when that kid in your class that you don't like, like, has the right answer. <laughs> you know? It's like, ugh. 
He tracks Jesus down, the Samaritan. I don't think Jesus stood still in one location. Jesus has continued to move on. And so it, it takes some finding to find Jesus. And his gratitude is worth this journey. His identity, he's the one they hate, the half-breed, the one whose people have rejected Jesus. It's fascinating. It's the, like you could stop right there. It's the, it's the one out of 10, it's the 10% that return and give thanks to Jesus. It's the least expected one. Maybe the others, uh, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they come back a week later. I don't know. But what I do know is that gratitude was not as high on their list as it was the Samaritans. I can't help but wonder if there's like a different level of pain for this Samaritan. Like he's been healed more because of this identity, this stigma around his racial identity specifically in the He's been the butt of jokes, really insensitive jokes his whole life. And those jokes came from Jewish people. And now Jesus, one of the Jewish people, was the reason he was healed. I think he had a deeper sense of gratitude that just overtook him. And he, he had to go back. I don't, I don't even know if he had a conversation with the other nine. He got healed. He knew what he had to do and turned around. The Samaritan gets to Jesus, and Jesus says three things to him, and these are fascinating things. Here's what Jesus says first. We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Yes, there were ten healed, and the other nine, we are very thankful, Jesus. You'll get our card in the mail. The other nine are following directions, like I mentioned earlier, and, uh, and here's the deal. Is this okay? And I just want to be blunt. It's not Okay to be ungrateful. To be in a place of ingratitude, ungrateful, is, is not okay in Jesus' mind. Gratitude means a lot to Jesus. And, and I just said, gratitude means a lot to Jesus and he's looking for it. Like he's keeping score. And he knows the nine that didn't. Now that's not to say, I don't want you to go to this place that I've already gone to, which is, did the other nine get unhealed? <laughs> like was there... Was there some kind of moment like you must complete the mystery quest and return to Jesus so that your healing can be? That's not a thing. And when you think that's a thing, like when you read the Bible and you're like, ooh, is God mean? Is this, I want you to return to this moment, to this book, where you, where you remember who God is and what his character is. Jesus goes further and he underscores the awkward part that everyone sees that this is the Samaritan, this is the one that everyone hates. And here's what he says next. Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? This guy's not one of us. And has no one returned except this foreigner? The one that you all hate is the example of peak gratitude, guys. There you go, James and John. Remember the guys who wanted to do the lightning bolt button? Now they will learn one of the simplest greatest lessons in faith, give God thanks from their enemy. Here's the kicker, uh, and this is the last thing. Jesus says three things to this crowd and the Samaritans specifically. And uh, and this thing that Jesus is going to say is perhaps why he wants to see the other nine as well, because he has something more to give them, but the other nine have kept going, and this one gets to hear something from Jesus, and here's what he hears. Jesus says to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Everyone believed. All 10 had some modicum of faith. All 10 are well. 
And, and yet there's something more that this one gets to experience. And if you do think that the nine get unhealed, you can live in that camp for a moment because I did and it was helpful for me to remember what God is and who God is. In Psalm 103, he's a God who forgives all your sins. He's a God who heals all your diseases. He's a God who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with compassion. He's a God who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He's a God who is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He's a God who will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He's a God who does not punish us for all our sins. He's a God who does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. He's a God who is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. To all 10, he's that way. But this one gets to experience something different about Jesus. He receives more. And, uh, and there's some questions here about what, what does this mean? Your faith has made you well. Why does he have to hear this? One theologian writes this, Daryl Bach uh, says, Jesus is probably saying that although 10 have experienced the blessing of healing, only one has faith and has turned to establish ties with Jesus that indicate the presence of salvation. The deliverance Jesus affirms here is greater than the healing the man has experienced. He had learned everything the miracle can teach him. He had learned everything that this miracle was supposed to teach him. See, the other nine haven't connected the dots of their healing in Jesus with gratitude. But this one has connected his healing to Jesus' actions to gratefulness. And those things make sense to him. It becomes a gift. Like, you get to hear additional words from Jesus. That's what this guy experienced. And, and a benefit for us, a gift to so many of us, just to understand what Jesus thinks about gratitude. Uh, Ann Voskamp in a book, Thousand Gifts, just writes, these are thousand blessings. And she encourages readers to make a list of 1,000 things. And when you make that list, I'm on number 550. I don't think I'll get there by midnight. But when you make these things, you realize the giver of the gifts is the gift. It's all the stuff, all the blessings, all the people, but the giver is the gift. All 10 have been made well, but the one despised Samaritan has gotten some sort of spiritual confirmation of his healing and his salvation. It prepares him for his life ahead. You know, uh, December 31st marks a day that's like a hinge moment, but we don't become new people tomorrow. We're becoming new people. It's the result of countless decisions and days that have preceded December 31st. But this day is a hinge moment for this Samaritan. He's about to experience a brand new chapter of his life where he can be with his people again. And so as we sit here on the last day of 2023, you might have a variety of feelings about the year past. It's normal to have experienced the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, we've all had happy feelings, sad feelings, angry feelings, tender feelings, feelings of excitement. Maybe you're a high school student and 2023 was a year where a lot of your friendships changed for the good and for the worse, both ways. Maybe you're someone who experienced a challenging health crisis last year. Maybe you welcomed a child in the last year 
Maybe there's like some serious frustration with your career path and you're like not where you want it to be. Whatever you're feeling, I want you to, on this last day of the year, have a chance to both be grateful and say thank you for those things and also to let go of what you're hanging on too tightly to. In a moment, I'm going to actually read uh, a poem, a prayer, and give us a chance to be quiet in the room, to pause. Sometimes we need a moment of quiet just to hear how much God does in fact love and bless us. And for today, the Samaritan in Luke 17, the villain, is our example. All he did was pause, look and see that he was healed, and turned around. Could you pause, look and see what God has done for you, and then say to God, thank you. I guarantee you, 2024 is going to be filled with some remarkable moments and some very unremarkable moments. And I want you to be ready for it. I want us as a community to be ready for it. And here's the deal. A posture of gratitude will allow you to say that everything, little or big, good or bad, everything is gift. We've done nothing to earn or deserve these gifts. Um, And to end, I want us to have a, a minute or two here I'll read this poem, Prayer Aloud, and I want you just to sit and listen. It's called Let Your God Love You by Edwina Gately. Be still. Alone. empty before your God. Say nothing. Ask nothing. Be silent. Be still. Let your God look upon you. That is all. God knows. God understands. God loves you with an enormous love. And only wants to look upon you with that generous love. Quiet. Be still. Let your God love you.
I, uh, I don't know what you experienced as you heard those words read. Uh, it's odd, right, that we need to feel the full force and effect of God's love. What we need to do that is a little bit of quiet. <laughs> Seems paradoxical. But a bit of quiet helps us hear God's I love you and helps our hearts say thank you in return. And we, we talked about uh, riz and zhuzh, and I hope they make it into your vocabulary. But I think some words that we can dust off uh, and it will serve us better with a, with a moment of quiet is just the words, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Say it often. Say it without words. Say it to God, the giver of every good and perfect gift. Thank you. Hey, we, um, we are so pumped um, about the atrium experience and uh, have some treats and a countdown happening shortly to ring in New Year's Eve. Would you stand with me? And we'll close with a final prayer and blessing here. God, in this new year, would you bless us and keep us? Would you make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us? Would you turn your face towards our faces and give us peace? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. We will see you out in the atrium shortly, friends.